Thank you. Um, for those that came in a bit later or just tuning in on the live stream, um, my name is Bridget Reeves. I'm a partner here at Lettered Streets Covenant Church, and I have the privilege of being able to share with you tonight, last week, and the next two Sundays. So heads up. Um, we are going through the book of Esther. And this is during a season, so we have a total of eight Sundays where our pastor is on renewal leave. And so he's gone for about eight Sundays, some of it for school, some of it for time off, some for renewal leave. I'm sure I got that all sorts of mixed up and everything. Um, but we're excited that he has that time away. And there's a host of people that are filling in. And so Nancy Taylor did a couple Sundays, Abby Stalker did a Sunday. And then after myself, you get Christy Wilson, which is super fun, so um, a whole group group of us. Um, so we have some extra people up here tonight. All the kids are upstairs, and I am so glad. Once I realized that we, that I got to preach on a Sunday that the kids were upstairs, I started to prayerfully ponder how to lean in to this space. And I'm going to try a few different things tonight, just as we already have been, um, into this unique intergenerational space that we have. Um, you were all so gracious with me during my first time facilitating communion last week. So I thought, oh, we could do this tonight. We could give this a try all together. Um, and with three young goobers myself, one of them downstairs, two up here, I just wanna say outright that you do what is best for your family. If that means getting up and hanging in the back, if it means sprawling on the floor with your coloring supplies and your bag completely dumped out and things rolling everywhere, that's fine. And I'm not just talking about the kids. So if you need to do that as an adult, feel free. So we though are gonna be diving in more to the book of Esther. The book of Esther is the story of God where he uses unlikely and imperfect people to save the people of God, the covenant people of God. Every year since the book of Esther, the Feast of Purim has been celebrated of God's past deliverance and looks ahead with hope. It's usually celebrated in Jewish circles in late February or early March, and it usually has about four parts. The first part is the reading of the Megalot Esther, which is the scroll of Esther, sending food to friends, giving gifts to the poor, and having a Purim meal, a special meal together. It's a very joyous occasion that has a lot of fun and laughter and lots of joy and celebration involved, celebrating God's deliverance. A lot of what I've heard and read and talked with others about, and I watched some, actually, some um, YouTube clips on the, the Feast of Purim, and these clips, it was a joyous occasion. It's said to be one of the most joyous holidays in the Jewish calendar. Pretty amazing. We're gonna be focusing tonight, um, I'm sorry, we're not sharing a meal tonight, but we're gonna be focusing on the reading of the scroll of Esther tonight. So what this, so it's tradition, and here's where our noisemakers come in. So I have an extra one up here if anybody needs one. Alma, I don't know if you had one before. Um, but if you don't have a noisemaker or a rattle, or as sometimes they're called in Jewish circles, groggers, there are some in the back. Uh, there's some extras there. And it's tradition that while reading the scroll of Esther, noise is made and rattles are rattled and people stomp and boo to drown out Haman's name. 
So every time you hear Haman's name, you rattle, you boo, you stomp your feet. We're gonna make lots of noise in here. And so in case you're wondering, this sounds kind of sacrilegious, kind of weird. So I watched actually a reading of the scroll of Esther in Hebrew. Um, I don't know Hebrew that well. I'm not fluent in it or anything. Um, but it was loud. It was loud. And I talked with some friends and they said, these, these celebrations are loud. And they usually read through the whole book of Esther. We will not be doing that tonight. We're gonna read through a, an abridged version of the book of Esther. Okay, so. We just had a little bit of practice, but let's practice one more time. Um, so you're gonna stomp, you're gonna boo, you're gonna rattle. Okay, so I was hanging out at Lake Patton on Friday night, swinging on the swings, and along down the path came Haman. Whoa, whoa. Nice, okay, perfect, perfect. We, we don't even need to do a second time. Okay, so Haman was a, oh, thank you. Okay, so that guy, was a, a descendant of the Amalekites through King Agag. The Amalekites attacked God's people in the desert in Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 25. And after this, Saul was commanded to wipe them out, but he didn't. And so his crown was taken from him. God back in Exodus 17 said that he would fight the Amalekites from generation to generation. And Haman, <laughs> And Esther wants to get rid of God's people. So he's continuing this feud. Okay, so I'm gonna pray before we read the word. <laughs> okay, Lord God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather here, for being here. Thank you for the joy that is just evident in this room. God, I pray that you would bless our understanding of your word, that you'd go before us tonight, God, and I pray that you would remove anything that would be in the way of what you're doing in our hearts and our lives here, God, um, especially myself, anything that would distract us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I've got my scroll of Esther here, and I'm gonna be reading an abridged family version of the book of Esther, in case you're um, possibly concerned after reading the first two chapters last week. Uh, and we're gonna be focusing on a couple of verses. So we're gonna read the abridged family version, and then we're gonna focus in on a couple of verses in chapter four, and we'll read those out of the ESV afterwards. But, okay, join with me now. And this is the point where everyone's ears need to be listening for the name, okay? So, once upon a time in a town called Susa, there lived a man called Mordecai. He was a very good man and always tried to help people and do the right thing. Mordecai lived with his niece, Esther, and they were Jewish, part of the family of God, just like you. In the same town, there was a king called King Xerxes. He, it was close, it was close. He lived in a big palace and had lots of money. He needed a new queen to come and live with him in the palace and he looked everywhere. And eventually, he decided that the one person he liked most of all was Esther, who was not only pretty, but also very kind and smart. So Esther said goodbye to her uncle Mordecai and went to live in the palace with the king and become his queen. But she didn't tell him she was part of the family of God. Now, there was a man who worked in the palace who was not very nice. His name was Haman. 
He expected everyone to do exactly what he said and to bow down to him when they saw him. And Haman got very angry if someone didn't do exactly what he wanted. One day, Haman met Mordecai and Mordecai did not bow down to him. Haman became very cross and he went to the king and said, there are some people who do things differently around here and I think you should make them go away. The king didn't really know what Haman was talking about, but he said, okay, you can tell these people to go away, the ones who do things differently. What Haman wanted to do was to get rid of Mordecai and Esther and all of their Jewish friends. The Jewish people were very sad because they liked living where they did and they didn't want to go away. What could they do? So Mordecai sent a message to Esther at the palace and the message said, Esther, we need your help. That nasty Haman wants to get rid of us all. Please talk to the king and ask him to stop Haman. Queen Esther didn't think this would work. She was afraid. But she said she would fast and pray for three days and asked Mordecai and the people of God to do so too, to help her save the people of God, including herself. After three days, Queen Esther thought, I must be very brave. And she made a special dinner for the king with all his favorite foods. Then she invited the king and Haman to come and have dinner with her. The king thought dinner was delicious and he was so happy that after he finished eating, he said to Queen Esther, what can I do for you to say thank you? Queen Esther said, oh please, I need you to help me and my uncle Mordecai and all our friends because someone wants to make us go away. That is terrible, said the king because he really liked Esther and didn't want her to go away. Who wants to get rid of you and your family and friends? Esther pointed at Haman and said, it's him. Haman wants to get rid of us. Oh no, said the king, and he was very angry indeed. He called his guards and said, take away Haman and get rid of him instead. Then the king asked Mordecai to come and work at the palace and do Haman's job. But of course, Mordecai was much nicer than Haman. And the people of God continue to celebrate God's deliverance through Esther today. Thank you, everyone. Woo! Yes, definitely cause for celebration. Thank you for joining in, in that more experiential learning. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to do that to kind of engage a few more of our senses in reading the scroll of Esther is that sometimes we miss the anticipation that the storyline has in the Bible. We miss kind of the broad overview and we can forget the joy that comes with God's deliverance when we read just verse by verse or chapter by chapter, and what a fun way to kind of boo and cheer along with the reading. And 
kind of fun to experience a bit of a different culture in how they read the word. So, for the rest of our time together today, you, along with your family, friends who you're sitting next to, your parent, can decide where the rattle needs to be placed for safekeeping during the rest of the time. Um, it may be with your parent, I don't know, it depends on you and yourself. Uh, if you have your coloring supplies, you brought them today and you're sprawled out and you're wondering, what could I color today while sermon is happening? That story we just read, if you wanted to draw a picture of one of the scenes from that story, so maybe it's Esther getting crowned as queen, or maybe it's her making the feast for the king and Haman, and celebrating God's deliverance at the end and Mordecai becoming to work in the palace or Mordecai sending a message to Esther, any one of those scenes. I just want to encourage you to draw that, to reflect on that story. I would love to see the pictures afterwards as well. Okay, so here we are. We're going to focus in chapters three and four now. So I mentioned beforehand that even though Saul did not follow through with getting rid of the Amalekites, we see Mordecai here courageously standing against Haman in a sort of civil disobedience. And he even shared his religious faith, which if you watched or were here last week with Esther 1 and 2, we know that there was a lot of fear involved in this empire. And we heard a lot that People hid their faith. So Mordecai hid his faith. He told Esther to hide her faith. And there was a lot of fear involved because the king is impulsive and we see him being manipulated by multiple people in the empire. And so there was a lot at stake here. But Mordecai chose to share of his heritage at this time. After Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman and the declaration was made to get rid of the Jews, the people of God, Mordecai was grieving and showing distress with his getting dressed in sackcloth and ashes and grieving at the king's gate. He got as close to the king and Esther as he could get. No one in sackcloth could enter the king's court because the king had to be shielded from anything negative, any bad time, any grievous thing, any sad thing, anything resembling real life. So Mordecai, in his sackcloth and ashes, got as close as he could and probably attracted attention in doing so, which is what got the initial message to Esther. Esther, then upon hearing this, sent him clothes because she wanted to protect him. She was probably trying to keep him from further suffering and harm because if the king's officials saw him, they may harm him. He was writing the line there. And so we're gonna read about this interchange that Esther and Mordecai have after she sent the clothes. And we're gonna read Esther chapter four, verses six through 17. If you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. So Hathak, Hathak in chapter, in verse six, went out to Mordecai. Hathak is the, the servant, the eunuch that went to Mordecai initially. In the open square of the city, in the front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. So um, just a quick point here. 
Haman basically back in chapter three said, hey, if you allow me to do this, if you allow me to get rid of this people group and, and plunder and their goods, I'll, I'm gonna end up with a lot of stuff, right? a lot of money, a lot of stuff, and I'm gonna pay into your treasury all this stuff, which may not seem like a lot or a big deal because King Xerxes in chapter one and two had a lot of money um, and he had a lot of splendor and pomp and circumstance going on. But that campaign against Greece that we talked about in chapter one, it happened and King Xerxes lost. And he, his treasury was pretty low and depleted and so he actually needed some of that replenishment. So Haman is basically like, oh, I'll help you with that if you let me do this. Okay, verse eight. Mordecai also gave him, gave Hatak, a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And so Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and all of the Kings, all the people in the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Unless the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Queen Esther here is basically saying you know the laws. You know that you're sentencing me to death if I go in there. I, and I actually may have fallen out of the king's favor. I haven't been called or summoned in the last 30 days. I'm probably not your best bet at getting this thing passed. And then <laughs> Hathak went to Mordecai, told him what Esther said. And then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The Jews that first heard Haman's edict, edict when it went out, uh, Haman had cast lots as to which day there would be this destruction. And these lots were cast and there was a certain day in the 12th month of the year. And the Jews originally reading this edict, they would know that's the day before Passover is celebrated. And so when Haman, oh, when Haman, not Haman, sorry. When Mordecai says deliverance will come from somewhere, I just think the irony for the Jews at that time in reading that was like, oh, you're trying to destroy us the day before we celebrate Passover of God's deliverance? And I just think what a faith builder potentially. It also could have led to despair, but also like what a reminder of God's providence way back in their history to say here again, God's gonna deliver somehow. So here we have Mordecai saying that. Then in verse 15, we only have a few more. So we'll, we'll be done here soon. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman 
will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered. Thank you for your word. Feel free to be seated. This whole interchange between Esther and Mordecai, it seems almost comical to me if it wasn't over such a big, important thing like the fate of an entire nation of people. Esther and Mordecai are going back and forth with a messenger, relying on the messenger to pass on not just messages, but emotion and nuance. And this is one of those instances where I kind of wonder, oh Lord, like this is the plan? Like this is the rescue plan? And in my mind, like this is tenuous, this is fragile what's happening. And you and I, we're no Esther, right? We're not pleading for the deliverance of a nation. We're probably not risking our lives for the sake of the gospel on a daily basis. And we don't want to misuse scripture. But verse 14, when it says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. All that being said, there may be a sense that God has, has placed us in our current reality for such a time a time as this. That there is something courageous in faith that you or I can do for the glory of God. And maybe for you that's standing for an unpopular opinion at work. Maybe you're being moved to extend radical hospitality to a neighbor. Or maybe as school begins, there's students in here and you notice someone standing alone and you choose to treat them with dignity and respect and invite them to play. It could be big, like choosing one job over, over another and being placed in that position set for such a time as this. Or maybe it seems less noticeable, like just a hard conversation with family. Maybe God has placed you just where you are for such a time as this, so that in this difficult place, you too can speak bravely for truth and for the gospel. Last week, I mentioned that there is no burning bush call to action in Esther, and there isn't. Um, what we do have is Mordecai calling Esther to action. It is not grand, and it actually just sounds scary. There's nothing like, real great, I'm with you, I'm going to be here for you, and I'm going to protect you. There, there's none of that stuff mitigating some of the risk that's there. And I want to be clear, we should not wait for a burning bush to move to action. We're called to live as faithfully to God's word and Holy Spirit as we know how. Sometimes we do get a bush. Sometimes we get some facts and the people of God nudging us. And I can empathize with this. Years back, at, I was in a situation where I was offered um, to do something, I was offered a way to do something different at Agape, at the mission. And I was like, there's no way. I told people, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. There's all these reasons why it's not going to work. And I told one of my friends, a believer, about this. And they, their response was, um, yeah, that all sounds like possibilities as to good reasons. But have you talked with God about it? 
Like, have you actually like sought his word about this? And I was like, oh, no, no. I just kind of looked around and said like, this isn't a good fit. This isn't gonna work. This sort of, like I was waiting for this burning bush for this moment of like, yes, this is the way. Cause there's all these reasons why this is not going to work. And so I need to be sure without a shadow of the doubt that this is what God wants for me. And she was like, I don't know if you're gonna get a burning bush. And Mordecai basically tells Esther the facts of what Haman says and then says, hey, who are you to think you will escape Haman's plot just because you were in the palace? And maybe you're actually here in the palace specifically for this moment. She didn't get a bush. She got some facts and the people of God nudging her. Despite what we saw of Mordecai's faith or lack of faith or questionable character in Esther's chapters one and two, with his hiding his heritage and allowing Esther to be taken, etc. if you wanna dig more into that, you can listen to the sermon from last week. Um, what we now see is someone taking a stand by not bowing down to the Amalekites and having faith that deliverance will come from somewhere. So, Esther is called to action, and she calls a fast. And in a reversal of roles, Esther starts calling the shots and telling Mordecai what to do. Up until this point, we have multiple instances of Mordecai telling Esther what to do. It's a reversal of roles. She also starts owning her faith, it looks like. There's some character development that happens here. She tells him to call the Jews in Susa to fast for three days, and she commits to not only doing this herself, but to have the Gentile women who serve her fast with her, which I think is pretty amazing. She calls people that are not part of the people of God to join with her in this venture. This is what we would call a national fast. All Jews being called to fast, not drinking food or water for a set amount of time for spiritual purposes. In Esther, it seems that the implied purpose is just is to seek God's guidance and deliverance from their enemies. In the book called Spiritual Disciplines for the, Chris, for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, he talks about fasting and says, fasting does not ensure the certainty of receiving such clear guidance from God and confirmation of direction. Rightly practiced, however, it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. Fasting does not ensure that we will receive a specific direction or guidance from the Lord, but it does make us more receptive to the one who loves to guide us. And I wanna acknowledge food can be such a difficult thing for people. I wanna recognize that in general, God does want us to eat and drink on a daily basis. That's how he's made us. And fasting shouldn't be done for vanity's sake, and we shouldn't not fast for gluttony's sake, the two ends of the spectrum there. We can be attentive to what the Holy Spirit is calling us to in our spiritual lives and boldly follow that. And if this is an area where you're like, oh man, before I do this, to rightly do it, I need some, there needs to be some healing in my relationship with food or body image or whatever it is, God also can offer that so that you can engage in the spiritual discipline as well if you wish to, to follow that road and to lean in that way. 
So we see Esther here clearly resisting Mordecai's call to action at first. And then she says, if I perish, I perish. There is a sense of wrestling then surrender. Mordecai is calling Esther to be a mediator for the people of God, to risk her life for theirs. And who does this remind you of? This is an actual question. Who does this remind you of? Jesus, yes, thank you. I don't know who said that, but thank you. Oh, thank you, Drew. Okay. So for all those, the kids on up in this room, I want to invite us to like engage with this one, this term today, mediator. Can everyone repeat back the term to me? Mediator. Mediator. Okay, thank you. I didn't do that quite right. I'm not a teacher. I'm, so, okay, I'm going to say it one more time. Mediator. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Any ideas on what the term mediator means? A go-between? Yes. So good. Anything else anyone want to add? Here's some intakes of breath, but no words. In the middle. Yes. Yeah, in the middle, the go-between. A representative of some sorts, sending a message. So yes, so Esther was a mediator. Jesus is a mediator. God came down to us in Jesus so that we may come back to him. Jesus is our go-between. That we may be saved and have relationship with God. As Queen Esther was the go-between between the people of God and King Xerxes. Esther here in this story is a type of Christ a foreshadowing of what is to come. She is an imperfect, faulty mediator, but is a reminder of our need for a mediator because we all, like the Jews in this story, are under a sentence to death and need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He did not merely risk his life like Esther though. He gave it fully so that we might live. He is the full rescue plan for God's people. We can respond with gratitude that we have a mediator that pleads on our behalf, even if we're silly and make mistakes and throw toys and get frustrated with family on the way to church. We sit in a position knowing we have a mediator. Though Esther and the people of God have just gotten a glimmer of hope, for deliverance at the end of chapter four. They sit on the edge of their seats, waiting for Queen Esther to plead their case. Next week, we're gonna to hear a bit more about what happens next in the next three chapters. So come prepared. We can rejoice that we are no longer under the shadow of death, and we cling to gospel hope. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we don't sit on the edge of our seats. We don't sit waiting to know whether or not this rescue plan will work, Lord. It does work. It is working. Lord, in Jesus, you have delivered us. And God, in this already and the not yet, while we 
get to experience some of the riches of relationship with you, Lord, a foreshadowing, a foretaste of your kingdom of God that we'll experience in its fullness one day when we get to be with you fully. God, I thank you that we're reminded, Lord, in the book of Esther of your deliverance with the people of God and the joy that that was. Lord, help us on our, in our daily walks with you be reminded of our deliverance, of your delivering us, God. We thank you for your word and for the time to study it. In Jesus' name, amen.